Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. And I've had the privilege of going along with others to his office and sometimes having meetings or attending meetings or just visiting with him. Our, pa- our pastoral staff sometimes will have our, our day-long meetings because they have a beautiful conference room. I love going there. It's so high up in the building. I love to look out at the water. But now when I look out, I can look down and say, oh, that's where that street is. And oh, I see now this is a better way to pull into the Aloha Tower Marketplace. And oh, look at how they're doing over here and over there. And you're probably, why am I telling this dumb story? Because sometimes while we go verse by verse and section by section, it'll be good because we'll drill deep. And if you drill deep into God's word, the deeper you go, sometimes the cooler and the fresher the water might be in the well. But sometimes it's good like a map for you to step back a little bit and to be able to look at the hole first before you dig in. So I like a map, I like a GPS, but I have to tell you the view from my friend's office window is absolutely gazillion dollar view and it would help me to find anything I need in the purview of that view of out of his window. That's beautiful. Well, for just the remainder of our time today, and this will not take me long, I want to go over just an overview of the book so you can at least see the beautiful journey that we're going to be on for all of you that choose to come with us and invite your friends on this special journey. So let's look at a brief overview of the Gospel of John. First of all, we want to talk about it, how it began with the phrase, in the beginning. So we're going to look at five areas here. It's not going to take long, but we're going to look at it as we would call it, in the beginning. I like it because some people refer to this as John is like the genesis of the New Testament because it's referred to as, in the beginning. And that's a good place to begin, and we're going to talk about that next week. The title of next week's message is going to be, A Truth You Can Trust. So you want to be here as we launch into the verse by verse, because it really covers verses 1 through verse 18, which is so important, because when you do, in the beginning, the first mentioned principle is hermeneutics, is to then launch you into understanding the book even better. So you've got to be here next week. I know it's a lot of verse. We're going to do it all in about, hopefully, 40 minutes, okay? Maybe 30 <clears throat> probably longer. But anyway, we're going to cover that in the beginning. But beyond that, we need to go to the second area because now you're going to see not only Christ, uh, well, John writing about Christ of who he is. Now we're going to launch Christ into what we call his public ministry. So we're going to call it seeing Christ in the crowds. Now, it's interesting because when he's in the crowds, there are certain things that are all happening, not maybe simultaneously, but they are happening. Now, again, for you real scholars here, you might want to understand that the book of John is a very unique book because it talks about the first week of his life pretty much, and then it talks about the last week of his life, but not a lot of whole much in between. But that's okay. You got Matthew, Mark, and Luke to be able to go through and get a lot of that as well. But you got the first week and the second week, and so now you see him dealing with the crowds, and I really love that. He was a man who really saw the crowds. He saw their needs and he looked upon them. And we know another uh, writer said that he looked upon them and he had compassion on them because they, they were like sheep without a shepherd, no one there to help them. So he looked at the crowds. But while he looked at the crowds, there's always these blocks of sevens that were going on. And I wanted to show you seven things that were going on while he was around people in the crowds. The first time it was him doing his miracles that he was performing at the time. So we're going to look at seven predominant miracles. Some say these are the only miracles that are found in the book, but it depends on how you define miracles. So we're going to look at seven of those. Some will call them signs that he did. We're going to read about the water to wine. Now let me pause on this one if you don't mind me being personal for a moment. Um, We will unpack this. You might hear this illustration later on, but just so you know that when you read through John, some of you might say, man, do I have to go to Bible college to understand this? 
without in any way minimizing my dad's education. Um, I'm only second generation American. We spoke different languages in the house. There were European mixed together called Bohemian, so it was kind of a pidgin Eastern language with English and some profanity in there. And so my dad never got past eighth grade. He mostly watched the news because that was important for him because he would then be able to see what the economy was like as a businessman by watching news. Right or wrong, it was a lot different then than it is now, and that's another sermon maybe. But he would then get the newspaper, he'd read the headlines. But when it was time for my dad to trust Christ in God's sovereignty, I tried to bring him the gospel and he wouldn't do it, but I prayed for him. And then between one visit and the other visit, I said, Dad, I'd really like you to trust Christ. And Dad said, Stan, I'll let you know next month. And I said, really? And he said, yep. And I said, because we have a great relationship. I said, Dad, well, then between now and next month, do me one favor. And he said, what is it? I said, don't die. Because I said, if you died, you wouldn't go to heaven. And he chuckled over that. But I didn't know this. There was a man who my dad respected a tremendous amount. And this man, on his own, another man in construction, like my dad, a businessman, gave my dad a King James version of the Bible and just said, Mr. Pons, Rudy, would you just read John, just read John. It's the book about salvation and talks about belief. Just read John. My dad, eighth grade education, picked up a King James version of the Bible, read chapter one, got to chapter two, and saw where Jesus turned the water into wine. And he basically closed his book and he waited for the next month. And I said, Dad, what happened? He told me the story. And he said, Stan, I've got a question. How did Jesus turn the water into wine? And for one moment, I thought he was very ignorant about the Bible, and the next moment I saw him being a postmodernist that had all questions about the Bible. And I said, Dad, I, I can't answer that except to say that Jesus is God, and being God, he has the power, the ability, and the right to perform miracles that only he can do. So that was a miracle. My dad's answer to that was simply, I can believe that if he's God, he can do this, should do this, you want to do this, okay, let's go on. And so we went right on. You'll be amazed when you read about the miracles of the Lord and how it can open up the fact on the deity of Christ. So we're going to talk about the water and the wine. And follow along in your outline now. He'll talk about the healing of the nobleman's son. So he cares about someone and their family that's hurting. Healing of the man of Bethesda. That's a wonderful study. I'm doing that right now, preparing the message for that, about a person who everybody basically abandoned, but Jesus didn't. Feeding of the 5,000. You've heard that so many times, but there's some great insight I'd like to share with you. Walking on water. Healing the blind man. Raising of Lazarus from the dead even. And so these are great miracles. But listen carefully. While he's doing these miracles, it wasn't about miracles. Because yes, I want to know that, oh yeah, he's God. He's got power. He can do this. But it's not about, look at the show I can put on for you. It's look at the show I put on for you so you can connect to me so that you can be a part of a miracle in your own life. So to do that, in the midst of that, he is now going to call what I call the seven I am. So he says, I'm going to reveal myself to you by telling you who I am. And he gives seven I am's. And when we unpack those seven I am's, then we're going to really learn even more technicolor surround sound, THX, of the Lord through those seven I am's. Let's look at it. I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the gate. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine, the seven I am's. But you know, Jesus is a perfect model for reaching out to other people. Because while he cared about the crowds, he mingled about the crowds, and he performed in front of the crowds to get them to look to him, to know him. He was also concerned about the individual. So there are seven people. Now, he did a lot of those signs with groups, but he also did signs with individuals. But he also had seven people he dealt with. And look at that seven list. He dealt with John the Baptist, so he interacted with him. 
He interacted with Nicodemus, which was a wealthy person at the time, and he did it at night. He did it with the Samaritan woman, and you remember the woman at the well and all of her needs and how many times she was married and the broken woman she was. The official in the sun, the man at Bethesda, again. And then again, the man born blind, and of course, Lazarus, but you can't leave Mary and Martha out of that story. Now, what, what is so important about stories about people we've never seen before and we've only read about? Listen, listen, listen. It tells me that my God, while he cares about the world, he cares about me as an individual. I was in his mind before I was in my mother's womb that God wanted me to be born and he permitted me to be born. Whatever family that I have, he brought me life experiences because he is shaping, forming, preparing me so that I could bring glory to him so that someday he would step into my life through the message that Carol brought to me the night I trusted Christ as my Savior. He cared about me. Now listen, folks, when you look at Christ, he's a perfect example of perhaps how we should operate. One, we love everybody. We see everybody's needs. And we're not just myopic. It's all about us. It's about others. But at the same time, we care about the individual. So when you come to church on Sunday, vastly shake hands with as many people as you can. But stop long enough when you hear someone that's got a hurt, hang up, or habit that could be touched by a word that you could share with them as an individual. Another thing you'll notice in that list of people, he cared for men and he cared for women. Now, we know that he was a man of character. He was holy and pure. So he had no impure relationships with other women, no matter what the world wants to make it be. They want to paint this picture of Christ with all their defined moral infractions on Christ so that will release them to be whatever they want to be and do. That's not who Christ was. But yet when he was, he maintained his moral purity because he is holy and just around them. So he wasn't like, I like men more than ladies, or I like women more than men. No, I like God's creation. They're all created in the image of God, and they all have purpose, and somehow I want to connect to them appropriately. And then I look at it in the stories. He cared about older people. He cared about younger people. He cared about Gentiles. He cared about Jewish people. He cared about hungry people. He cared about well-fed people. He cared about military people, political people, business people, street people, and fishermen. And so I look at Christ. I can't wait to get in this study. My problem is... I really do hope I live long enough to go through this. It's an incredible story here. So even though I'm enthusiastic about it, some of you might be ho-hum about it, but really go to the Lord and ask him to help you with it. Well, besides about his crowd ministry that he had, and it was a beautiful one, and he cared about people, I also would like to share with you, after he left the crowds, he moved to another area, and I'm going to call it the upper room. Personally, I think that's a wonderful place for him to be because it was in that upper room that he kind of screened out the world he zoned in on his guys, and he really drilled deeply within them, teaching them about the Holy Spirit, how to have joy, what it means to make a difference on someone else's life, how to have peace. So he talks about peace that I give you that the world cannot, joy in the fulfillness of the fullness of joy more than you could ever have, and then the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach and remind you and comfort you, empower you, convict you. Man, what a time when we get into the upper room studies about who he is through all these people and events to help us to be all that we should be in these specific areas as we travel through life like all the people in the Gospel of John did. But then we move into the darker area of his life. We might call it that darkness where he was arrested illegally, tried illegally, died and buried. What a horrible time of his life. And as we look at that part of his life, we're going to see something about his love for us because that's when he demonstrated his greatest love and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And then I like the fifth part when he came out of the tomb because that's the resurrection. You know, 
That's the time when we can say, I, I, I know you showed your love for me when you died on the cross, but my sins were paid in full when you rose again from the dead. I want you to know the beauty of Jesus Christ at that time. So I look at that, and what a wonderful experience that we're going to have. And we see the resurrection power and the people that he talked to at the end of that. And I've listed that for you, for some of you, that he emphasized a personal appearance to people after he resurrected, before he ascended. He met with Mary Magdalene, and he said, go tell my disciples. He met with Thomas and said, I know you have little faith, that's okay, I love you. He didn't really say that, but by implication, he says, go ahead, touch my hands. Go ahead, you need a little bit more, touch my hands. But blessed are those who can walk by sight and and faith, not by faith and not by sight and touch. And then to Simon Peter, he said, tend to my sheep. And by that, he's basically saying, love my sheep, but love me more. Feed my sheep, tend my sheep. You have a ministry ahead. So those are some facts. I know it's a little academic today, but I'd like to leave you with five prayer requests. They're all in your notes. For some of you that want to go the extra mile, you might want to rewrite those last five and put them up on your refrigerator door, put it in your Bible right next to the Gospel of John, and I'd like you to pray through these. And you ask the Lord to help you with these. So let me go through them quickly for you. I'd like you to really pray and really trust the Lord that you would learn the life and actions of Jesus so it will make you more, it'll make faith more possible. When I look at the life of Christ and I see what he has done, I can see what he's willing to do with someone that has a little bit of faith and he takes a little bit of faith, grain of mustard seed, a little child, and great things happen. In fact, some eternal things happen. And so I want you to know for me and for you that our little bit of faith that we have, that things could be made possible. And so maybe some of you are saying, I don't know if I can get through this situation. I'm going to tell you, it's not how much faith you have, but it is in whom you have that faith. Little faith in a great God. But second, you might want to trust him for this, that having a personal conversation with Jesus Christ will make our faith more personal. So I don't want to just lead you in some liturgical prayers on Sunday morning, but to give you an opportunity that as you're reading through this, that you'll be talking to the Lord and you say, what if I was that guy that was born blind? What if I was that woman who was at the well that had all these husbands and my life was morally wrecked? Oh, Lord. And now you communicate with him and you know the Lord... He's not going to sleep while you're talking to him. He's going to listen to you with his heart. He knows what you've gone through. He prescribed it or permitted it. All of it is to bring you to him. So I pray that it'll make our, our prayers more personal and not these little now I lay me down to sleep speeches. But also that studying the miracles and works of Jesus will make our faith more powerful. When I see what God did, then I know that my faith can actually, in a sense, move mountains. I don't mean literally now, but we can move mountains. It's amazing if we had the time to give you the microphone today and how many of you were able to trust the Lord with your faith that you knew that only God knew this, you told nobody about it, you just went to God, God did it, and how you saw that your prayer of faith, not name it and claim it, but your prayer of faith, great things happened by God, and it showed you truly how powerful your faith is. Well, watch this. You'll get more faith by more of the Word. So as you come around God's Word personally, but also on Sundays when we're teaching John, it will strengthen your faith and you'll see how powerful it is. But if you look at the words of Christ, just reading his words now, it'll make your faith more practical. It'll make your faith more practical. That means you can experience things like joy and peace. And you'll be able to see how the Holy Spirit will convict you of some sins or prompt you in certain things or teach you things about the word you didn't know. So all of a sudden, your faith in God's word and seeing what happens, it makes your faith usable. It's not just an existential leap of faith into this unknown about blah. It's real faith 
for a real life, for really right now, that has eternal results. And then finally, I pray that we'll focus on the cross and the resurrection because when we do, it will make our faith more passionate. When I realize that all that I've read about Jesus in chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and I get all the way down to where Jesus now reveals himself after the resurrection, I'm going to see he really did live. He really did die. He really rose again from the dead. This is real. He's real. This world is, word is real. And I have a passion for him like I've never had that causes me now to willfully, desiringly change my life through his power for his glory. And I pray that'll be for all of us. Now, those of you who are on the um, outside looking in and you're not certain of having eternal life, and I'd like to tell you that there are two books in the Bible that are primarily used to, to help you come to faith in Christ. All of it is usable, but two of them. One is Romans. A lot to be said about salvation in Romans. But there's only one book of the Bible that is specifically written so you could have eternal life. And that would be John. He says, so that you might have life. Obviously have it more abundantly, but that you'll know him. And in this book, I'm going to give two messages back to back. What does it really mean when you hear all this stuff about be born again? And another one is just called The Greatest Gift Ever. And it's all wrapped up around what I think is one of the greatest verses, John 3.16, out of the same book. So listen, those of you who are guests for a moment, that verse is this, for God so loved the world, I know he loved crowds, <laughs> but right now for God so loved you, we know he loves individuals, that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ. We're going to read about Christ and what it means to be given by God to us on the cross and how he gives us to him. And that if you would simply believe in Jesus Christ, not behave, not believe and behave, but believe in Him, you will have eternal life in heaven. Jesus' is love, Jesus' is light, and Jesus' is life. And when you accept Him, by faith in Him, you have life. You'll live forever, sins forgiven, and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ in heaven. Well, I'm telling you, are you excited like I am? And I haven't even preached the first verse yet. I'm excited. So now you saw that beautiful view, like we could look at the harbor through my friend's window. Now we're going to come down the elevator, and we're going to enjoy it because now we're going to be able to touch the streets and smell the food and see the people and gaze at Jesus Christ. Let's pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. Well, my dear friends... I gave you five areas that you might want to take for your own and you can rewrite them. Maybe let the Holy Spirit tell you areas that you need to connect with Him on for prayer. Maybe that's what you'll do. But I do want us to go on a journey of not just coming to church and yeah, I go to this church. I, I can't go to another church because I'm committed. I already serve here. No, I, I'm coming because I love the Lord and I want to hear the Word and then I'm going to go deeper in it privately and I'm going to read other versions of it and I'm going to read other commentar commentators on this. But I want to know the Lord. But I want to know it to live it. I don't want to be a hearer of the word. I want to be a doer. So would you come to the Lord? So if you want to be a doer, for those of you that are not certain of your salvation, then here's what you need to do if you want to be a doer of the word. You need to do what Jesus said. He said, he that believes on me right now has everlasting life. John wrote that because he was quoting the words of Jesus in John 6, 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you believe on me, not behave, not believe and behave, but believe, believe on Christ, not yourself, your good works, another belief system, but on me, Jesus Christ, 
you will have a promise, a guaranteed promise backed up by the power of Almighty God. You will have everlasting life. Have you trusted Christ as your Savior yet? Would you do it right now? Would you simply say, Lord, I don't understand this all, but I, I want to go on this journey. I want to know you. And man, this book sounds like it could be very interesting. But now, Lord, I know enough to know that I'm a sinner, that I've missed the mark. I've fallen short. I know enough now that it says it's by belief, belief, belief. I heard that all morning. And I know I could never be good enough, so it must be by belief. Because if it's by good works, I wouldn't need to believe any longer. And works aren't going to do it. So right now, Lord, I'm going to place my faith in you. It's childlike. It's like a little tiny grain of a mustard seed. But the little faith I have, I believe that you're the Lord. You died and rose again. And I'm placing my faith in you right now. And Jesus says again, you have everlasting life. So from a God who cannot lie, you've got the results, everlasting life. Because you did what he told you to do. You placed your faith alone in Christ alone. Now if you're doing that, I'd like to pray for you. Now remember, that's my work, but that's not going to get you into heaven. But I want to pray for you. I want to talk to the Jesus that we're going to learn about here in John about you. I want to kind of love you through my prayer to the Lord and I want to bring you to the Lord and in my prayer I want to bring the Lord to you. Now I'm not going to have you come forward. I'm not going to mention your name in my prayer. It's not necessary for me to do that. God knows who you are. That's the important thing and he does. So in no way will I embarrass you but I want to know is there anyone here today that has finally called upon the Lord by faith in him alone to be their savior and you would like for me to pray for you. So with heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around, would you slip up your hand right now if today is the day you're trusting Christ as your savior? Is there anyone at all? All right. Now, Christians, how about you? How many of you will perhaps go through this prayer with me? These five areas that your faith would be more powerful, more practical, that it be more personal or possible, and finally that that faith you have will make you more passionate. I, I don't mean sexually intimate. I'm talking about passionate. You know what we're talking about. For the Lord. For doing what the Lord wants you to do for reaching out to others. How many of you would like to have prayer because you want God, the Holy Spirit, to speak to you, not me, not the pastor, but the Lord, to you through this word? And you'd like for me to pray for you. Would you slip up your hand? Amen. My hand is up. I, I, I'm, I'm more frustrated because I see so many truths. I'm like a, a kid that found a treasure chest and I want to show you every little jewel that's in it and I know I don't have all my the rest of my life to do this. But I'm going to show you enough to let you know that will never fathom the death of his love and his truth. Lord, you gave us this book because you love us. And you gave us this book to help us to grow and to deepen our trust in you, our intimacy with you. There's not one of us here who doesn't need that. I need it. We need it. Those who will be coming in after the study is launched. So, Lord, I do pray these things for each of us that we've just talked about. I pray that as we study this book that faith will seem more possible to us. And maybe for the first time it will. And that areas of our life where we haven't been able to apply it yet, that you'll give us the grace, the power, and remind us that it's the exchange life. It's not us forcing something to happen. It's allowing you to live your life in us as we remember and identify with your death and resurrection. I pray that as we hear you talking with others, we hear you talking to us through your word. I pray that our faith would become more personal. 
and Lord, I ask that our faith would grow in power as we see more miracle-working power that you have as it was recorded in Scripture. I pray that, Father, each week you'll help us to see practical ways we can make our faith real. That that, that week or the next week, whether we make our faith real in our personal life or our family, at work or school or on our team or our neighborhoods or in the church, it becomes real. It's working. And Lord, I pray that as we see how deeply your love for us, when you said you loved us and you gave your life for us, that we would believe and that our belief would deepen and grow and become passionate as we remember what you did for us by your love on the cross, that that would in kind birth and generate and grow our love for you. And as it was sacrificial, may our love for you be sacrificial as a way to say thank you for giving to us the free gift of eternal life. Now, Father, we love you, and we love what you're going to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.